0: This is a podcast about the body of work of poetess and spoken word performer Lara Sabina. I'm Holly Hawk. Today, we go behind the curtain of Laura's first book of confessional poetry called Some Kind of Miracle. Told over four different chapters the prologue, the lessons, the lover, and the desire. Laura's poems permit our emotions to run free as she deftly pulls out parts of herself that are usually left to the recesses of our hearts completely hidden, tucked away. If you know Lara, she is honest, genuine, and inviting, much like her written self. She invites you in without holding back, making you feel totally enveloped in understanding, completely at ease. Her vulnerability cuts right to the core. Today, we discuss her inspirations, her pain, and ultimately her lessons after being able to distance herself and look back from a new view. Hello, Laura. Thank you for being here. Thanks for doing this, Holly. In your social media profile, you call yourself a hopeless romantic with a dirty mind. Can you share with us what that means to you?
1: Good God. Um, That was actually from somewhere online. I stole that. Um, I am very much inspired by other poets that have come before me. And I also reference some of them in my book like other lyricists or musicians even. So the full quote says something in the lines of, If you're lucky enough to find a girl who is a hopeless romantic with a dirty mind, you should hold on to her. Because she'll kiss you where it hurts and until it hurts. And someone who knows how to turn you on, but also how to treat you right, is someone worth a little more than usual. So true. (laughs) And it's also so cheesy. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it's really about this belief that I can indulge in romanticism, yet keep a playful, adventurous and daring attitude towards love. And that's even reflected in the name I chose for my profile, Laura Sabina, I mean, these are my um, first and second names. But to me, Laura um, represents the romantic, while Sabina stems from a promiscuous figure in Milan Kundera's novel, The Unbearable Lightness of Being. Do you know it?
0: I've heard of it.
1: So yeah, she she therefore represents the dirty mind, so to say. Another example is one of my muses, Anais Nin. She was an American writer and... She's hailed by many as one of the finest and actually first writers of female erotica. Now she I've heard of. Oh, there you go. <laughs> um, uh, so she's actually most known for her diaries. And uh, and they describe, for example, her time in Paris. I think it was during the 30s. Um, and during that time, she met and fell in love with Henry Miller, another famous writer, and his wife, June. And... Although she never described herself as bisexual and actually distanced herself I think from the from the political activism that is connected to the women's liberation movement she's still celebrated by many as as a queer feminist icon and so I think this quote kind of goes for her as well so well if you're ready
0: let's dive right into it in the introduction of some kind of miracle you say that last year marked the time when, quote, words came back to you. What happened the day that they did?
1: So the day when words came back to me, um, I was actually sitting at home with a bottle of vermouth. Ultra classy. Exactly. Writing <laughs> drunk, editing sober, um, and could just watch the lines flow out of me. I was writing to you. Because I wanted to reach that you in their innermost being, you know. I I wanted them to trust me. Um, imagine a person in your life that got under your skin in an inexplicable way. Just choose the first person that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that someone is able to touch you emotionally, perhaps in ways that you cannot be fully honest about, not even to yourself, you know. Because you get in touch with your own fragility, so to say. That's a little bit scary. Yeah, exactly. And yet with these kind of people, um, a single simple moment of authenticity that you share, like a song or um, a movie clip or a part of a text, can feel that deep, it suddenly makes you realize, oh, wow, maybe I'm not alone in this world after all, you know? (laughs) Maybe my people exist and... They understand me. Maybe someone can actually see me. So this idea of being brought to life, in a way, through encountering the other, that was my entry ticket to the first chapter, the prologue. And the poem is called Part One. Hardship had become my teacher. The year when resilience had merged with my limits and heaviness had shown me how to rise again. When I could handle it least, I wondered, oh, simplicity, where had she gone? Could I rely on complexity to take her seat, take over guidance and make me complete? I learned to cultivate loneliness, let it tunnel into me and allow my soul room to grow. I learned to never hope to outgrow it, never ask anyone to lift me up when I'm low. I learned nobody can fill that space and that that space over our lives can remind us to forget the pain. I now know the lessons will come back tomorrow if they are not learned today. Now I'll choose empathy over disconnection, courage over what's known and certain, I'll toast to freedom over perfection, doing the work over complaints about the burden. They say, nothing I've learned can prepare me for everything else that needs learning. So, tell me, when are you going to let me in? When are we there? When can we begin? The first truth is easy. The lover wants what he can't have. It's by definition impossible for him to have what he wants if, as soon as it is had, it is no longer wanting. The second truth is known. To love is to battle. When two look at each other and see, the world changes. To love is to bet. A bet placed on freedom, not my own, but the freedom of the other. The third truth is simple. Gone for now feels a lot like gone for good. The spoken truth cracked the concrete in our throats and release what isn't ours to keep. We water beliefs that can only breathe life right back into us. So tell me, who do you want to be? Who do you want to trust and do you think it could be Me? And if it's true that nothing I've learned can prepare me, and all will always be returning, on protect me and have me start burning, have impatience consume me while yearning, for everything more I could see, it could be a reflection of me in you, in me, in you or all just a deja vu? Let me untangle the madness that haunts you. Let me break you so you can be open. Open you so you can expand. Expand you so you can create space to invite more love in. Let's fall apart so our pieces can come together and rearrange again. Let's believe in the wild possibility of our own impact and knowing you are enough. Let this be more than just waiting, more than a save-me to strangers. I'm coming back to that memory, to the meaning of a moment shared. I wait, and that's when I realize authenticity was key. So here is the deepest secret nobody knows. My head was feeling scared, but my heart was feeling free.
0: Part one seems
1: to be caught up in those moments of the
0: other, that all-consuming feeling of excitement and of being touched, as you say. But then what comes of part two? What happens after those first moments of consumption?
1: Um, to me, at least in the past, love stories have usually not been easy. And the ones that I hold closest to heart all contain an element of pain and struggle. Sometimes I feel their very meaning is defined by the fact that they didn't have a happy ending, you know? Can you relate to that?
0: I would definitely relate to that.
1: So, obviously your story is not written just because you meet a person who resonates with your soul, right? I mean, that's just the beginning. And you can never know at first how lasting and stable an encounter will be. That's the scary part. Yeah, and what's what's also is that in these times of WhatsApp conversations and twenty four seven availability, if you don't talk for two or three days, that can almost mean the end of a relationship. I mean, it's
0: over. You've ghosted. It's done.
1: <laughs> there you go. So I don't know this communication breakdown. Um, I I wanted to kind of reflect on on what happens in the silence that follows, and uh, because to me, the silence always gave me a chance to rediscover myself. And when people came back, sometimes they did so to stay. So among other things, this is what the next poem, part two, deals with. So much deafening silence stretching above me, around me and inside of me, your presence still lingering. It's filling me up with words demanding rupture. Has the silence itself brought about this rapture? I let myself be captured and immersed in it, drowned. There is never enough to be found to be unbound. I'm not driven by instinct but drawn in by significance, persuaded by meaning, escaping indifference. I guess it's never too late to go beyond your own surface, shattering beliefs, finding your purpose. The deeper I get, the roar I feel. It's getting real. Bursting another wall, I can see that there's more and it's calling me back to before. I'm obsessive and reckless and I like it this way. Do we only come out to play? Is this the real life or is it just fantasy? I asked you to join me, for alone I can't cope. I built a window into daring and ultimately hope. Now I dare you to move, to let your world be transformed. But don't say you weren't warned. It is always a choice between the red and the blue, the old and the new. How desperate are you for freedom? Is the truth always brutal? Do you prefer blissful oblivion? What are we here for if not for this? You know, there's no inherent meaning, only the meaning we give. And I give it all when I'm giving. Won't give up on risking and living and feeling and relying on somebody else, so to feel in control while losing myself. You can take what you get, I can live with regret, as long as we let ourselves interact and connect. There once was a time when the one I betrayed most was myself, because I had lost touch. The pain had just been too much. I couldn't handle the beast and how she had fooled me. She had told me she loved me when really she had ruled me. See, the experience numbed me and it blinded my view and it made me do things I never meant to do. The day innocence was lost and all things changed. I turned to damaging decisions that led to lies and mistakes. So now... I'm so hungry, almost insatiable, for something with truth, something unchangeable. Now I'm laid bare like an open-ended nerve. Now I know we accept the love we think we deserve. If one thing I can promise, it's that you are not on a pedestal, and I will anyhow show you that you're fucking incredible. So with this one, I toast to the hopeless romantics, to the lonely, the broken, the fearless, the frantic, to the youths whose secrets I will treasure and keep, to the songs that we play and that put us to sleep. They say there's a space between trigger and reaction, and in this space lies our power to choose. It's our reaction that determines our growth and our freedom. And sometimes it all depends on how much we have to lose. So I thought about us and the nature of companionship and how beginnings hold the promise of a story untold. And I wondered if sometimes hitting a plateau is really just another word for putting on a show And even though we know that change is inevitable, it takes time to adjust. And so I take a leap of faith into honesty and trust. And when I reach over and take your hand, the silence in my head turns into sound. And where once I was lost, I can now feel the ground. And where once I was scared, I open my heart. And what once felt like the ending suddenly feels like the start.
0: The emotions you write are expansive, overwhelming, and at times completely crushing. How did you deal with the weight of these emotions? How did you change or develop in the wake of
1: such waves? Oh, wow. Um, Well, I mentioned a time in the last poem when I felt I was betraying myself because I had lost the connection to my core to the little me. Um, The pain had just been too big. And I couldn't handle how much I had been deceived by people I thought loved me. How someone could pretend to love me on one hand, only to control me at the same time, you know. So that experience kind of numbed me. And in the following years, I did many things that caused me and other people pain. I kind of lost my innocence, so to speak. I I lied, I cheated, manipulated, told more lies, better lies. And whenever I got emotional, it was often only because I was afraid of being exposed and having to bear the consequences. And yet I feel with all this shit and regret. Yes, please (laughs) tell us there's a flip side. (laughs) I just feel that the pain carves a death within you. And once you get through it, You can use that to really connect to other people, to move them and to let them move you.
0: And we see you do that beautifully.
1: Well, thank you. I mean, that's basically all I care about in this life, you know. (laughs) So after the prologue kind of honored the ways in which I rediscovered myself, I wanted to talk about the lessons I have learned That's how I coped with the emotional load, so to say, by getting to the other side of it and appreciating what it has taught me. So one of the lessons to me was that the pain you go through can actually end up being the birthplace of a lot of beauty and poetry. So here it goes. I want to tell you about how the worst parts of me are also the birthplace of the best parts. How if you dig deep enough and look beyond what you see, you'll eventually discover my graveyards. Where everyone's buried I have ever broken, in ways much worse than you'd guess. While I was battling the fields of a war unspoken, trying to love myself nevertheless. The echo of their words resounds within the void of the place where my heart used to be. And it's actually there, among those ruins destroyed, that there's space enough for my truth to roam free. So I let thunderstorms fill me inexorably, cause you know I'm not scared of their fire. As the hollows they cause are the death within me, where you'll find meaning, my guts, my desire. It's that room that, every once in a while, I'll let you sneak into just for a peek. And the rawness you taste there brings out that smile because you love to play hide-and-seek. Isn't it therefore true after all that beauty can be born out of pain and that what made me crazy stumble and fall is at the same time what kept me sane?
0: Moving out of this birth phase, let's talk about the second part of your book, It is made out of two chapters, the lover and the desire. Can you share with us how they interact and what they mean to you?
1: Oh, man. Um, Oftentimes, at the very beginning of a story, I found myself to be in this seemingly endless phase of indefiniteness. Relatable. (laughs) You know, all those questions Am I in love? Are they? What does it mean to be in love? Is it romantic? Is it platonic? How do we know where this will go? Um, and that kind of questioning can happen in all sorts of relationships. It usually wasn't even them that didn't want to give me reassurance. I feel that a lot of times I myself didn't know the answers to that questions for sure. Do any of us? I don't know. I I think some do, though. I oh. envy them. Yeah. <laughs> They're not artists, I think. <laughs> Anyway, um, so, you know, inevitably, there are always those first moments, for example, when you lie very close to someone for the first time, perhaps waking up next to them. And I wanted to write an innocent text that captured the shyness of that first closeness. Uh, A text about the uncertainty of where this journey could lead, because it could still lead anywhere. Um, So it's a poem about the beginning of things about just feeling it out and surrendering yourself to the process. It's called The Morning. It's both a blessing and a curse to feel everything so very deeply. And with some tiredness and strained bones, I immerse myself completely into the wild unknown, the dreaminess of a lazy Sunday morning. It's early winter, but it rather feels like summer's gentle warming. Her light shines through the cracks of my imbalanced precondition, and movements search for company, almost like on a mission. A journey to forgiveness, love, audacity and hope. A dream of places far away, outlandish and remote. I freeze the moment, so it exists as long as I don't overflow. Enters my mind, reaches my heart, and paints me in indigo. There's no tomorrow, only gravity, chaining me to now. We won't regress, we'll only long for, anything that we allow. You wish for secrets, some you want shared, and saying no has never been so sweet. Yes, you can trust me, and I can trust that you'll play, pause, and repeat. No echo of decisions taken, for whatever they may be. I guess it's true that I found you when I went looking out for me. So tell us a little
0: bit about the artwork present in this book.
1: Um, In the middle of the book, you can find some illustrations by a friend of mine, Sophie. I have been working with her a couple of times by now, and she's really great at translating my poems into a visual art form. Um, You can also find the titles that the drawings relate to incorporated into the illustrations and track them back to the text, if that's your thing. And then there's the cover. Which is completely stunning. Well, it's by a Catalan artist from Barcelona, Nuria. So Nuria this goes to you. Um it's a it's a delicate drawing of the Tibidabo, one of Barcelona's hills and it offers you magnificent views over the city and the surrounding coastline. Um Barcelona and the Tibidabo specifically have held a very special place in my heart for many years. I keep coming back to it.
0: Sounds like you've done some traveling. Did you take any literary pilgrimages in the process of bringing some of these poems to life?
1: You can say there were a few, actually. Mm. But the travels weren't for the writing necessarily. I feel the writing was rather a consequence that flowed from the travel. I did spontaneously decide to fly to Barcelona alone. Um. That was November 2019.
0: Obviously, as that's a luxury unavailable now. Exactly. God.
1: <laughs> so as I was strolling the streets of, of this beautiful city, I was overcome by a feeling of immense freedom. I mean, you can only be aware of this if you know what it feels like to feel trapped and confined, you know, as we do right now, actually. <laughs> Completely. So... I mean, it's also not a coincidence, because in the aftermath of the independence movement, there were all sorts of signs everywhere asking for liberty. Um, Yeah, so I had a whole day to myself. And because of it, I really lived every moment so intensely. And at the end of that day, I went up to the summit of the Tibidabo. It was uh, a sunny day, yet still fresh, typical for autumn. And while I was contemplating the vastness of the city and the endless sea in front of me, I had the supposed Bob Dylan quote stuck in my head, which goes, you can be wise and in love at the same time.
0: Smart man, that Dylan.
1: Exactly. Yeah, so I wrote this text, which ended up making part of The Lover. It's called About Freedom. City of Highlights. The sound of the sea. Crispy fall mornings, cold air on reddened cheeks. Freedom, so inconsistent with boundaries chosen, an honest resurrection and a moment frozen in time. Wind in my hair, sun rising over skies. A new hello and endless goodbyes. A story of love, the ending, unknown. Walking the streets that smell just like home. On top of a hill, the meaning of time. Hands held after midnight, my heart drenched in wine. And at the end, when I finally fall... A silent confirmation that Bob Dylan knew it all. There's obviously a theme of pain in this particular
0: collection that continues throughout all of the chapters. Though currently I think it's fair to say you're on the other side of a lot of these experiences, are there any specific types of pain that you draw from or that were particularly poignant
1: to you? I think the particularly painful moments were the ones in which I pretended not to care. Like, for example, if the person that gets under your skin sleeps with other people or falls in love with someone else and you're not really allowed to say anything because of the indefiniteness of your relationship and also because you don't have really anything to offer them anyways. Um, Because as I said before, in many ways, it wasn't always clear to me what I really wanted. Because oftentimes I wanted someone until I got them. And then, you know. That's the story of our lives. (laughs) I don't know. It's almost as if I rather was looking for an almost love. And I also find that sometimes the people that shaped me the most were not the ones that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. People that were so, so terribly wrong for me were often the ones I felt most attracted to. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, I I like to say I'm not a jealous person, but I guess we all like to say that about ourselves. And So whenever I couldn't get my happily ever after, even if it was just my ego rebelling, that realization could eat me up. So this is what the next poem is about. It's called Jealousy, and we are already in the chapter of The Desire. I want to give you freedom, like the one I pretend to own. While I'm chained by my desires, you out there, me here alone. I know I act. I act it out. I just sit and wait. For everything is fleeting, love, beauty, even pain. I can't give it away. The fire that consumes me makes me want to touch you, swoon you, while I'm begging you to choose me. Whenever you let me wait and yet I want you to engage, resign yourself to fate, embrace it and have faith. I know I'm limited and helpless. I want what I can't have and then I swear I never wanted it right in the aftermath. I guess I should have showed you all my scars right from the start. But I'm painfully aware that was always the most difficult part. The thing is, I've walked on when I knew where this road led and I bathed myself in misery of all the things you never said. But I dreamed them, I still dream them, they're in my head out loud when there's no way to tomorrow and all I do is silently shout. And all these cigarettes after sex can't undo what has been done. The smoke in my lungs cannot change, I'm not the one, we're not it and we can't be. Never mind consistency. And so your face that says, I told you so, can't console my shattered heart. Cannot resolve this war inside. Cannot kiss this mouth apart. And I don't even have it clear what Disney princesses would like. It's all and everything the same, from every cake a little bite, so... I think I take my chances with forever and let you in. I'll never have to wonder anyway where I end and you begin... I'll remain a soul at war with words from battles waged within.
0: What lessons have you learned from these journeys and care to share with your readers, having found the strength to puzzle together the broken pieces over and over, and creating such beauty from it?
1: What I do know is, the intense faces always have to be brought to an end. And sometimes what you're left with is to agree to be friends. You know, maybe very special friends. Very special. <laughs> but in the end, no more than that. And I've come to find that often this had to do with the fact that the soul of a person might fit mine, but the circumstances of life do not.
0: I think people can resonate with that.
1: Yeah, I well, I guess we all can feel a connection, but sometimes we're not able to build a sustainable future from it. The generally, I must say, I was really bad at respecting the boundaries that I then set for myself. I think that's a general trait with you. (laughs) So true. Um, Yeah, so also, and maybe this is my main realization. I've come to believe that whatever I felt has always been love. You know, love for this person. And to me, there's essentially no difference between friendly love or romantic love. If it's if it's really honest and real, it's the same. Or at least the lines are very blurry to me. And we even shouldn't lose the point in trying to define it. It's just that I didn't dare to express that, though, in the moments I should have, because it made me f- feel vulnerable and because... People like to have boxes into which they can put things. And it's just that that love is not easily boxed up.
0: So you feel there were things left unsaid.
1: Yeah, in a way, the the chance to be raw and authentic, I feel kind of past. And and so because I was too late in telling them when it mattered or when it would still mean something, I guess I wrote it all down. And I'm telling all of you now. <laughs> Hoping that maybe some of you understand. I think it's safe to say a lot of us do. <laughs> well, that's great. Then you m- might enjoy my book. Um, it can be found at almost every online bookstore, like Oder Füssli, but only online, or ordered from the webshop of my publisher, Books on Demand.
0: Thank you so much, Laura, for sharing your insights, your hope, and taking us behind the curtain a little bit. What is the last poem called? It's called
1: Confessions. Every time I come walking out of the storm, still reeling from the neurotic and wrecked frenzy that is the puzzling labyrinth of my mind, I wonder. Is this the scent of resolution, or is retribution waiting for me around the next corner? I consciously fill up the space between us Convinced that I become whole not in relation to myself, but only through encountering the otherness I find in you. Pushing boundaries until they almost burst, because my thirst for more is as voracious as it is torture. All journeys have secret destinations of which the travelers are unaware. And I will always be a child of the wilderness wishing that to taste the salt of friendship on my lips Would feel just a bit less bittersweet So as I believe we can only be redeemed To the extent to which we recognize ourselves In our desperate attempts for tenderness, I confess That though I've never said it I guess I never dared Love was there In the silence <laughs>